Hello, Vince. Hi, Hi mate. Hi, yeah. it is okay. Lovely. So we start at uh, Crystal Palace, your first club. Uh, how did you first get uh, signed with them and spotted? Funnily enough, I didn't get in the, uh, the school team. I'm growing up in the East End of London, and um, got spotted by someone just in the playground. Um, played for his Sunday club, mm. and suddenly he had connections uh, in most of the, the London clubs. Uh, came down and watched what they saw, and uh, I'll show Crystal Palace mainly because at the time. Um, Probably the most high-profile uh, manager, stroke coach, um, outside the, the obvious ones like your Revies and your clubs, was Malcolm Allison. Yeah. And um, he actually called me by my name, and I thought, well, if you can remember me at <laughs> at 13, he's uh, and a lot of other 13-year-olds, I, I, you know, well, this is yeah. the guy for me. Yeah. And obviously mentioned the manager then, but there was a change in management then with Teddy Venables. Was that uh, an easy transition in in the change there? Or? Um, yeah, really. I mean, Terry was already there. Uh, Venables was already there, and yeah, uh, basically he was doing all the. Uh, he, we, you know, had a lot more contact with him than we ever did with with uh, Big Mal, uh, as young yeah. young pro. So the transition didn't really really notice it. Um, Terry just carried on. As he was, you know, he, he was always hands-on, and um, it, it, you know, just the easiest of transitions, to be honest with you. Yeah, and uh, you had um, fans play of the year twice there while you were there. So a good relationship with the fans. You you enjoy interacting with them, and still do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't been down for a year or so. To the, I mean, I get a lot of uh, nice uh, things said about me, but it's the same as anything. The further. I think the the, long, the the older I get, and the, the, the more times or the, the less frequent times I go to Crystal Palace, the better I get as a player. Yeah. Um, you yeah. never, you know, once you've retired, you, people never remember you playing badly for some unknown yeah. reason. <laughs> the legend <laughs> grows. Could, <laughs> the legend grows, you know. And sometimes <laughs> it, it, you find in, um, in in certain team sports that if a if a player doesn't play, he's uh, He's done himself a favour, really, because he's yeah. always the one that they need. But no, I've had a great relationship. I mean, to be honest with you, as a black footballer in the seventies, which were still reasonably rare then, and um, yeah, they took to me straight away, and it made you know that part of the game. It made it made it easy because um, obviously I looked forward to to uh, playing my home games because the fans were always always keen when I got the ball. Yeah, uh, sense some expectations. So I just took the, the, a little bit of the, well, a lot of the trepidation away of um, uh, playing football, wherever. Yeah, because I always had that to look forward to coming back to to Sellers. Yeah, you mentioned obviously one of the first black players to establish in the first team. So I think, how did the abuse obviously away games did it affect you at all on the pitch? Or it's funny, really. I I, I, I did um, I, I did a document. Helped film with some, a documentary which is about Justin Fashion, I think, which comes out next uh, year. Yeah. And uh, I did an interview and they asked the same question. And um, it didn't, uh, to be honest with you, when I first first broke into the team, uh, it didn't affect me because the unfortunate thing uh, then is that you expect. Yeah. You, uh, which is, you know, it's a terrible indictment on society then. Yeah. Um, and so it didn't. Yeah, I could have said anything, and 
anything, it just inspired me. And it, you, you, you always, I was as a footballer, uh, got more, much more satisfaction. As much as the fans loved me at Palace, and as much as I couldn't have got on the game with them, I always got more satisfaction from a begrudging than I did from people that are actually supporting you. Because <laughs> um, it sort of twisted, you know, it just made you feel good that you, people that were, had this. I don't know, on it. They had this thing in them that they were going to give you a stick and have a go at you, irrespective. Then, you know, you know, one round of applause for them is worth 20 from people that, yeah. that are supporting you all the time. And uh, I always, always found it much easier to to express myself away from home because I just wanted to prove prove people people wrong. Yeah. So, uh, me, but funnily enough, in my initial four or five years, six years at... Um, uh, uh, Crystal Palace and getting in the team. After that, I, I did start hearing stuff, and I would be alive. I said it didn't sort of hurt, but it's, yeah. it's strange, really. And then, um, you know, as much as we, there are still problems, and it, you know, it's not eradicated at all from football. Um, I can assure people that were people that were around then, particularly the black players. They'll, they'll tell, the black players that play them will tell you that you know you just couldn't envisage. Uh, the strides that have been taken now, and long may it continue. Yeah, you mentioned that. Obviously, uh, kicking out campaign at the front of that and the FA. Yeah. Do you think the higher they, uh, go as far as UEFA, do they need to clamp down even more? Cause... Yeah, I think you know. It, it, I think the the answer is not in the punishment. Um, it, mm. It's what kind of punishment, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I don't think. Monetary uh, fines uh, is the answer, and, and even even bans. Uh, you know, like sometimes they've, you know, they've, particularly in some of the Eastern European countries, they've played games behind closed doors. But I don't really think they, they're the sort of answers. What I'd, I'd like to do, or like to see, because I think it's a society thing. I really do. So yeah. I would, you know. Let's be honest. It is the greatest. It is the greatest game in the world. Football. I, you know, it was great to me, and it never owed me anything. And I love football, and I watch football anywhere. But yeah. what I would say is that the, the one thing that is more important than than uh, football and sport is, you know, the the human race mm. and how people conduct themselves to each other. So I'd like to see uh, other sporting bodies get involved when anything like that does come up, and that and it hurts the country uh, as a whole. Yeah. Instead of that, that particular the football, because it's not, it's not just, you know, if it was just a football problem, it would be gone by now, completely. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. Um, just, just sanctions against footballing community um, and hurting the footballing community is, is not enough. You need to hurt a wider community and maybe, and that, that and to me, that way will it, it will eventually get eradicated because it's not, it's not only hurting the people that. You know, I'd like to say everyone loves football and everyone, but it's not the only sport out there. Yeah, exactly. And that way it will hurt, hurt everyone. And even the people that are not even sporting inclined, if you can find some way of hurting, hurting them, I don't mean physically, but find some way that, that you know, the, the country or community suffers, then obviously people will take take an interest in it and take it much, much more um, serious than they are now. So, if we get back to your playing career, then you went to San Jose. Is it earthquakes? How did that move come about after Palace? Well, 
Well, I, I went to, I was at Palace and um, it was in the middle of, it wasn't the Palace that I knew, um, it was just it was so many comings and goings and players coming and going and, yeah. you know, I look back on it now and I even, even uh, I still, one of my closest friends still is Billy Gilbert and me and Billy signed at Palace as, as young boys and we still look back on it now and we, we occasionally when we meet up we go, oh yeah, I forgot he played for us, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. even when I went to do this thing on Justin, Justin Fashion. Yeah. I remember, you know, I remember John. John played. John um, made his league debut at Crystal Palace, and no one ever remembers that. In fact, <laughs> like the way John played, I don't think John remembers it. But, um, <laughs> but he had a little spell, and, and and it was getting like that. You know, players were, were passing through, and um, yeah. and and, not, and it was just the club was just losing, it just losing its identity and appeal. And then I've been to the states a couple of times, and and you know, they liked that. It looked like they liked that sort of player that I was. So yeah. they said to me, um, get yourself out there. And um, we've got a couple of clubs interested in signing you. If you'd like to go for the end of the season. They said, no problems. If you, um, if you, if you don't like it, don't, don't settle, you know, we'll have you straight back here. And I thought, well, I, that, in, in that respect, I had nothing to lose. So uh, I went out there. And um, unfortunately, uh, going at 21, 22, I didn't realise uh, how good a time I was having out there. Because mm-hmm. all I wanted to do was get back and play, play the football that I knew and the nitty-gritty that I knew in the, and the terrible pitches and the terrible weather. And yeah. actually took the, my, my stint in San Jose for granted, which which I regret. Um, because I did have a great time out there, but I only knew I had a great time out there looking back. Yeah. Met some great, you know, great people and played against players that I'd only sort of read about, never thought I'd play against, uh, you know, Johan Nieskins and yeah. uh, Carlos Alberto's, and um, just didn't take it, just took it sort of for granted. I played with people that had won the World Cup, um, Wim Tubir, who played right back for, well, he didn't actually, he played in the two World Cup semi-finals for Holland, and mm. a guy called uh, Louis Cuellar, who was, I remember watching him on TV playing for Mexico in the World Cup. And they called him the Wild Man of Mexico because he had so much hair. And it was, it was, um, you know, going to, going all around the states and living out there. Um, just a great experience, you know, playing at the Cosmos Stadium and uh, Los Angeles. All these places, it's just, it was just great. And um, just let it go of my head and couldn't wait to get back to to start the season against Barnsley. <laughs> 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 the only part of that. I, I, I uh, did score my first game, so I quickly forgot my American team. <laughs> I was just, just saying you mentioned all the great names out there at the time. Was the standards better than over here at that time, do you think? Or no, no, not at all. No, 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 no. no, no. It, was, um, it was still in his infancy. I mean, um, yeah. not, no comparison now. Um, the, the Americans, it, it was quite a running joke over there. They were, and still are, the most disciplined sporting um, race ever, uh, hence you know they dominate and in 15, 20 years. I think the, the, the Americans will win the World Cup. Yeah. I've got no yeah. doubt about it. Uh, get the right coaches, and the, it is a game that even at, at that time it was played um, a lot by the kids because the uh, other sports were dominated by how how fast, tall, or strong you was. Yeah. And, and um, being a kid, it was an easy game to play. And as they got, and, and as the kids developed, that's when they started losing their love of soccer, as they call it out there. But um, 
don't think that's the case now. Where they're where they're doing better and better than the Americans pride, I think they'll they'll do excellent out there. But it was a running joke and when I was over at that time, just to give you an idea how disciplined they was, if we was playing, for example, uh, a team of a star player from Europe by Johan Naiskins, we would turn around and say, just stick an American on him and tell him just make sure he doesn't have a kick. And the, 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 American, the American would just stick to him. Yeah. He'd, he'd, be, he'd be not worried about the, um, the game. He'd yeah. just make sure his player... It didn't matter if he was out of position or anything. It just mattered, it just mattered about his concentration was on not giving that. So hence, uh, your, team, your team shape was all gone and everything else. But it was quite amusing. And, and I hated it when I, when I knew I was getting marked by an American. Because yeah. <laughs> I knew I would, nine times out of ten, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get a kick. So uh, the, the, Italian, the Italians at that time had nothing on Americans' man marking. <laughs> Obviously, it wasn't, it's not the, that's not the side of the game they wanted to see in America. They wanted to see the flair and the... Yeah, the skill and the ability, and they didn't quite have that, but they certainly had the discipline to um, do as they were told. <laughs> uh, back home, then you played uh, next club another big legend in Alan Ball at Portsmouth. How was, how was yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I came, I came back for a short stint after. Well, another couple of years, I came back after um, the States. I came back to Palace. All right, and um, after that, a lot of people, you, even you, just um, skated over it. When I left Palace, I went to, um, I didn't go to Portsmouth, I left Palace and I went to Luton Town. Oh, right, okay. I signed for Luton from Crystal Palace. Um, I was a big admirer of David Pleat and the way he wanted football played, and I thought he could, yeah. he could be the type to resurrect my career. And I had a few, few friends there, i.e. Ricky Hill and Brian Steen. Um, they were good mates uh, I played and knew. Um, in fact, uh, a story again. Um, if you dig deep enough, you'll find it. Um, a few years before that, uh, I think in fact ninety. In fact, I know what year it was. It was the year Tottenham won the FA Cup in the eighties. Uh, running nineteen eighty one. Eighty one, yeah, eighty one. And um, that season, Jimmy Cannon had his first of two testimonials. Jimmy Cannon, like played about two million games for Palace and he had a testimonial even then. And um, he, and he ended up playing till the 80, mid-80s, mid-80, late 80s, shows you how many games he played. But yeah. that was his first testimonial and um, he called me outside one day and uh, Black players were just starting to make an impact then. And he said, do you, do you think, and because it was South London, Crystal Palace's place, uh, and a big uh, Afro-Caribbean community there, Jimmy, being the Scotsman that he is, saw the pound signs and thought, oh, if he could get a side together, uh, made me, of all the up-and-coming and the, the named Afro-Caribbean players, that he should get a decent crowd out of it. So he asked me to get a Vintelaire 11 together. Oh. So, um, to play in the testimony, which is a first, if you, it would, would have been the first time um, uh, an all-black or coloured side, whatever you want to say, was... Yeah. Brought together for a testimonial. Uh, I think uh, a couple of other teams did it later on. Brendan, I played in one for, I think it was Len Cantello up at West Brom. Mm. He had he got a side that side together, uh, and some and Cess Pod did as well at Bradford. So, but I was I got the first team together as regards to all that and. Um, 
Uh, it went very well. I had a decent crowd, and out of that, um, I got approached by someone about get, getting a side together to go play in a tournament in the Caribbean, in Trinidad and um, Tobago. Yeah. Um, so just went around getting, you know, the, the best and the, the best known black players at the time, um, and it went under the radar a little bit. You got Crooks, Chris Hutons, mm. George Berry's, Bob Hazels, Brian Steen, Ricky Hill. Uh, when we all went out there, Terry Connor, we went out there and um, George, did I say George Berry? Being Welsh, you'd know George was the first black player to play for Wales. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And uh, anyway, we, Bob, so we went out there and um, it was in a tournament against Trinidad and uh, Fulham, Fulham went out there as well. Mm. So it was quite enjoyable. But anyway, I digress. Um, so okay, I left uh, Port's um, Palace and went to Luton, and uh, things didn't work out for me because more for the reason David Fleet decided to take a sort of backward step from the, the coaching and managing that season, and left his left the, basically the team in charge of a guy, Trevor Hartley, who I didn't get on with, uh, mm. fell out all the time. So I only ended up playing six or seven games, and before I knew it, I was. Um, a group signed for Portsmouth and Alan Ball. Um, I managed to play in a Luton Watford derby, though, so I can say that. <laughs> um, but I was in buying before Christmas this, that season. I was at Portsmouth and um, playing against one of the people that you know I idolised as a as a kid and um, played against on a couple of occasions. It was everything I thought, and uh, I just was flattered that some of his stature would um, wanted to sign me. Yeah. It was quite an easy, quite an easy um, decision to make signing for him, and I yeah. um, probably had my most enjoyable time as a human being, um, and learnt uh, loads as a human being than I ever did at Palace. As at Palace, I had my own most enjoyable time as a as a player, but as a human being, and um, you know, finding things out about life and looking at life in a completely different way, which is how you get when you with Alan Ball um, uh, was brilliant, yeah. you know, and I just thoroughly enjoyed it, and that's why I'm still down here. Yeah, and you, you, obviously you've mentioned your managers in the Crystal Palace manager, Alan Ball and um, David Cleet, and obviously later you see Billy Bremner. Were they a big influence on the moves rather than the clubs at the time? Yeah, I think with, with, uh, look at the money, money plays a big part in football nowadays, yeah. and great, and um, good luck to players. You know, that they can get it, and it's brilliant that they're born in this this generation where there is that money about. But there was other managers that had to earn their call in other, in other ways in them days, um, because a lot of the clubs were much of the were much of the muchness. So it wasn't a case of it was a choice between someone like Manchester United and uh, Southend United. Mm. Uh, it was a choice. It was a choice between Nottingham Forest and um, Southampton and. Um, Man United, and because all these teams, or Aston Villa, they're, they're all yeah. capable of beating each other. You know, there was whereas there's, you know, they're battling for the top four place now, and there's, I don't know, eight or nine teams looking to get that. You had a whole division yeah. that was trying to win the league, and a whole division trying to win the FA Cup, and a whole division trying to get into Europe. So. Um, yeah. That's that was the difference. So managers had to earn their their call by persuading players to sign for them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, selling the club, and that's where Alan Ball was 
brilliant um, to me. You would have thought I, I would have. He signed me at three clubs, um, Ball League, and um, you would have thought I would have cottoned on to his his spill. But because every time, uh, with the exception of Portsmouth, every time I signed for him, he disappeared after about six months, and I was stuck. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's just a, like I say, it was a great experience. And um, he, he, his philosophy on football was uh, very similar to mine and how I got brought up with it in terms of how Terry Venables wanted to play football. But he had the added thing of um, there was this... Uh, no one likes losing and Terry Venables was a, was a winner as well. But all he just took it to another level. Mm. Um, as regards to the losing, and um, it just—it was something that was infectious. Hence, that I—I I, I think I can best sum it up. I looked on Twitter a couple of um, a couple of weeks ago, and there was a team photo of the team that I played in the victory and that won the that won the um, got promoted to the top top flight. Oh, and um, <coughs> I looked at a couple of the tweets underneath from probably Portsmouth fans, and they—one of them, the very first one said. Um, uh, you, you'd, you'd want to go. You know, they look like a bunch of bunch of convicts. I think that was. And he and someone said, "Yeah, it just looks like a load of players that have been let out for day release from prison." And um, I looked at it and I thought, "Yeah, actually, they're right." And there was some really real uncompromising in the team that people that you you sort of wouldn't. You wouldn't want to sort of row with, but by the same token, even the ball players in the team, um, like myself and Kevin O'Connor and Kevin Dillon, and we were, you know, decent ball players and that, but we weren't renowned for being win at all cost people, you know. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, you just turned into a demented madman, frankly. <laughs> and losing, losing was not an option. Yeah. Um, because if you do, you knew that that that, that little ginger guy. Would probably hold it against hold it against you, and sometimes you would go a week without talking to you <laughs> if you lost the game. If he thought you was not at it, you, so you know, you'd, so you made sure you weren't going to be yeah in Alan Ball's bad books for that week because he did make you feel like he was lower than a snake's belly on some occasions. <laughs> Do you think with the money involved now that's gone out of the game nowadays? I mean, the last one we you think of is Fergie, I suppose. Do you know what? Do you know what? That a lot of ex-managers and ex-players from my era and mate just after that will say that you know yeah. probably brought up to about I don't know mid-90s and they will say that but yeah. I don't agree with that no. at all I, what I think or why I think it's gone out is that if you have that many um, players from well um, they're obviously when they've been brought up their culture and how they look at things are completely different. So what I'm trying to say, even if you was born in, um, I don't know, in the Basque region of Spain, and you ended up playing for, you ended up playing for Real Madrid, you would understand because you've been brought up in Spain. You would understand what a result. Uh, what a game between Real Madrid and Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid means to the people, because you've been brought up in that in that um, environment. Yeah. Now, if you take someone from this country and say, "Oh, we're going to watch uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona," 
or real, you know, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, or Real Sociedad against uh, uh, the other best team, the Atletico de Bell, best teams. They'll go, you'll go out there and you'll just enjoy the experience. And if you, even if it, you know, as a player, it's funny really that the managers, the managers from over here, that um, do well in Spain, outside the um, the big clubs. That Terry Venables went to Barcelona. Mm. Okay, who, if you talk to anyone who was born and bred in Barcelona, they don't consider themselves Spanish. They consider themselves Catalan. Yeah. And then, so, therefore, Terry Venables being from London, played played in big derbies, you know, Spurs and Chelsea, uh, managed teams in derbies, you know, I with Palace and against Spurs, and been round derbies always like, understands that mentality. And understands winning those games. Um, then you look at David Moyes, who's made a bad job um, of his um, first job abroad in Spain. He's gone to a club that's in the Basque region. His mentality is going to be the same as the people there, because it's that siege mentality. Yeah, and. Um, Look at Howard Kendall, another one who managed Bilbao. They don't, you know, they don't have anyone playing for him. He's not a Basque, but they'll have they'll have a, um, a British manager. Yeah. Because of that mentality, John Toshek, he managed the Basque Basque team. Yeah. So uh, you know, it, it's something that's inbred in this country. Um, but if you, and I suppose being an island is another thing. But if if you if people actually think that passion and um, you know every every footballer, no matter where he's from, wants to win, mm. wants to win. But I can assure you, um, this is why. Listen, if you're earning three hundred thousand, two hundred thousand pound a week, okay, and your country wants you to go and play the other side of the world every four or five weeks. You, and you're, you're you're in this country playing 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 football, 200 grand a week. You're going to t- most people would turn around. Not that ten people don't play football would turn around and go. Would go. I think I just retired from international football. I'm well well enough. Yeah. I'm well off now. <clears throat> but they don't. They don't, do they? They turn yeah. around and they'll fly halfway around the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because their 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 passion is. It's for their their um their upbringing and where they're from. Yeah. You know, it won't hurt as much to lose um it won't hurt them as much to lose a derby as it will the ordinary Everton Liverpool sport. It'll hurt them to lose, mm. but you know, tomorrow's another day. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the supporters, they've got a week, two weeks, three weeks, or they've probably got till the next time they play again. Yeah. You know, so I'm not so I'm not a big big fan of um, it's because of the money I mean, it's nothing to do with that yeah. I think it's just, it's just a mentality and they you know, give their all and when the game's over yeah let's think again yeah, yeah. fair enough uh, touch on international football there you played for England under 21s a few times but never quite for the senior team did that bother you at all at the time or looking back oh, no, there were some good players around then and yeah. um, I got I, I, you know I trained with them and that and I've just thought you know again being young and that you just thought your time will come. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I progressed from the under twenty ones to the B, 
big side and uh, and again you funny you mentioned that I looked at the um I looked at a couple of the te- I looked at the B side I played in and looked at the the, the under twenty one side the last mm-hmm. time I was curious about our, um someone asked me a question about something in Scotland and that we played Scotland and uh, I thought that I looked at it and I thought oh a year later there was I think six six or seven of the team played in the, the starting 11 for England in the um, 82 World Cup. Mm. It was which is strange, really. I mean, there was uh, Sanson, Brian Robson, Hoddle, Terry Butcher, uh, Steve Foster, God knows how he got in the team. Um, and there was a couple of others. So, Graham Ricks. Yeah. Um, so, no, I mean, I ended up, I played with some good players and I held my own with them. And it's just circumstances, you know. And it, 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 that one, the one thing that is the same as, and it hasn't changed in football, which I don't think will, and I don't think should change. If you're, if you're not doing that, well, you're not going to be at the forefront of um, international selection. Yeah, yeah. You know, unless you're banging in goals and you're a regular to your international side, you know, um, you're not going to be. It's like Harry Kane now. He's he's which I thought might have happened. I think in getting re- selected for England, I think we'll have a reaction now till the end of the season because it's a long, yeah, yeah. it's a long season for a young player to, who's been at the, uh, the forefront of everything. But as soon as getting you get selected for England, that's another bit of pressure, another again, and, uh, and I'm sure that's why Hodgson is a bit prickly when people are going on about him and that because I knew. It done him a favour, really, not scoring, because the pressure would have been even more intense scoring in the, yeah. in the friendly. So I think it'll come, it'll, because of it, it'll be a better player. But I, don't, I think that's it now as regards to Harry Kane this season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then, after you finish playing, now you do a bit of media, TV and radio, and hospitality yeah. down at Pompey. I do all that. I do the hospitality at Pompey. And um, like I say, the, right at the start of this conversation, the best thing about retiring and I think a lot of ex-players will tell you is that no matter what game you're playing what level it is you never play badly yeah. you never play badly watching yeah. and um, <clears throat> I, I got, and working at Portsmouth every every uh, home game um, it, it, it's strange some of the stuff I always use the Alan Ball logic with, with fans to make them realise that footballers are the same as everyone else they don't mean to play bad it's mm. just happened sometimes. Yeah. yeah. But um, I try and make people look at it as regards to not equate every single thing to money. Mm. And, um, I, you know, when they, people turn around to me and say, if, you, if you're hun- earning £100,000 a week, you shouldn't be missing from the penalty spot um, from 12 yards. Um but the argument to that is if the goalkeeper's earning £110,000 a week, he should be saving it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, that's, that, if you equate everything with money, it just doesn't work that way. It's just, it's just what's happened and um, it's exploded. But the sooner money gets put to the back burner and what these players are earning, yeah. the more there'll be an understanding of it, you know. I don't, yeah. I don't blame footballers for, for, for being reticent and not being forthcoming with, with people, with the public. And giving this this score of um, better than everyone else because in my, in my day, uh, quite right and quite rightly, when I was playing, nine and ninety nine out of hundred people 
I trusted. Yeah. Um, so I could have a drink with someone, and I could you could talk to someone. Mm. You could have a picture taken with uh, a man or a woman, and that'd be the end of it. Yeah. Now it's people, you know, got camera phones and yeah. uh, everything else, and you can put two and two together and make five, and yeah. and, uh, and therefore players are they're only comfortable. They're not they're not as pally as they are with the public as they used to be, and that's why footballers only want to be with their own mm. or their close mates and that's why things like what happened to Ryan Sterling happened because yeah. he didn't he thought oh, this is going to be nothing I'm with my friends so once again Raheem Sterling at 20 has got to, has got to find a new circle of friends because someone's leaked that for a few bob mm. and he will and, and he will be even less um, forthright and forthcoming and, and and more so, start listening to his agent even more, who's given him wrong advice. Yeah. So, you know, you can't really win. You know, I, I do. I would say that yeah, the money is great to have as a footballer, but you'd like to be able to to spend it like a normal young man, which yeah. you can't. You know, you can't do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, we mentioned the media. Did you ever think about coaching at all when you finished, or or not? No. Yeah, I, um, Myself and Billy Gilbert, we um, we ended up managing um, Haven't Walked Legal, which is um, okay, which one of the uh, big non-league clubs down on the south coast. Yeah. And in fact, a few years ago, they played up at Anfield, and uh, you know, it's made them. We both made the mistake of taking over and playing a little bit, yeah. being player managers. But it wasn't, you know, when you've been a pro for. 14, 15 years, you think when you're coaching and talking to uh, part-time players, they'll have the same mentality as you. Yeah. And all they'll think about is what you've told them. Mm. It doesn't occur to you that they've got other jobs and uh, other things going on in their life uh, apart from football, you know, I was brought, brought up, my job was football. It's the most important thing in the world outside my family. Nothing else matters. But um, when you've got a job and a mortgage to pay and everything else that relies on your job and if you get injured, you pay that your job, your proper job, you know, you're not going to, you're going to have all these things going on in your head. So unfortunately, in my case, I, I didn't quite grasp that. So um, I should have basically just... Just played, and even, and even after that, I, I went and played for a friend of mine, for Bogner, Bogner Regis. Yeah. <clears throat> but there is a time when you, you you have to turn around and say, enough's enough, you can't play anymore. I mean, I went to Bogner, and um, in the same team at Bogner um, was myself, Stuart Gray, mm. uh, Steve Wigley, oh, okay. and we were rubbish. <laughs> and that was just, a, <laughs> and that was a part-time level. No, seriously. Yeah. You would have thought we were the part-time players and the lads that we were playing with were the ones that would come out of the pro game. Yeah. And then you sort of turn around and you go, what am I doing? Mm. You know, and uh, unfortunately, I packed in earlier than I should have. Uh, um, this is what I say to to people, you know, to young players and that. If you look after yourself, I know the game's, the game's getting quicker and players are fitter, yeah. but if your game... 
relies on just making sure you keep fit and make sure you, you listen. Don't take liberties. You'll have a long, much longer career than the players that rely on, you know, you, you know Wayne Rooney will be, be around till he's 30, mid-30s, at least he'll play the same way, up to him any time. Ryan Sterling, you know, he's game, once he gets to 30, he'll be looking at retiring. Yeah, you know, looking at the last couple of years. Ronaldo now um, is, is, is going to be over 30, and you can actually see that now he's cha- he's changed his game. He's had to change his game because you can't the, the physical part of it. And but luckily, be, being in the top three best players in the world, Ronaldo changing his game will still keep players in the world. Yeah. But other players who just rely on the physical. The physical part of it, how quick they are. Um, I'm, you know, I've never been a fan. Of, you know, look at you, defenders that are quick, are very quick. Um, they fall from grace very, very quickly. Yeah. Very quickly. I'll give you hundred examples if you want. And defenders have never have never relied on pace. No. They will keep playing and playing. People like John Terry. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, never, never been quick. I, mean, I got that years ago because I used to look at. I, I played with him, Steve Foster, and played against him, and I just thought to myself, "Why you're so rubbish? You can't run. <laughs> you can't run. You can't turn. Why do? You, why? And then, it, then it, and then I played with him down the twenty ones, and I thought to myself, you're just rubbish, was he? And then he gets get selected for England, and I thought I looked at him, and I thought I know why, because he he is the he was the best organizer I've ever seen. Yeah. And he never got exposed no. because he he was constantly talking. And um, John Terry, he he never gets exposed no. and never allows himself to be exposed because he has to eat and he constantly talks to defenders. So and anything straight up and down, which is his strength, he'll he'll win. So and then you look at you have a look at how many top top fullbacks are playing up past the age of thirty two. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, the game, the modern game is changing. You won't see it. Mm. Glenn Johnson it looks like he was a great athlete at Portsmouth. Yeah. He's not even a regular in Liverpool's team. Now he was, you know, a year, year and a half ago he was England's right back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, and you know, there's loads of them. There's, you know, there's a certain age. There's four or five years you have, and if you're clever enough as a as a footballer to identify those four or five years as your peak, you'll you'll be outstanding. But you know, it's, yeah, you have to be clever enough and hope that you with with a coaching staff clever enough to to identify these are the best. This is going to be the best four or five years. Yeah. And we were going to reflect that by giving you a monster contract. <laughs> uh, finally, then I read you're a West Ham fan. Is that right? I am in. Well, I'm, I was born and bred there at the East End. Yeah. Did you make it their season so far? And Sam, do you think he'll stay? Or? <laughs> it's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, they yeah. had a great season. I've, I've constantly to West Ham fans, you know, and uh, I've only been once this season because I'm down in Portsmouth. But unfortunately, unfortunately for Sam Allardyce, I now know he could have done the double this season and they still made it yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> I just 
there was some of it was there was no basis of them. I think it was just got a habit of giving him stick. Yeah. And yeah, when he, so, even yeah. when he was doing, doing well, they would just begrudgingly saying, "Oh," and he would never ever um, ever win them round. And really, you know, there's too much emphasis on that. There, that it's like of him. So there he goes, really, for his case, because he's a good manager. But yeah. But saying that, the West Ham fans don't know what they want. So if you turn around to me and say, "Do you think you take, take the job?" But even the legend that, uh, you know, I, I played against them, watched down there, Trevor Brooklyn. He he thought himself, "I will only do a couple of games," because he would have thought, yeah. cause he, 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 "I'll do a couple of games and get out while I'm still a legend." Yeah. Which is no, which is clever, really. Unfortunately. Yeah. The other, the other teams I follow are Palace, obviously, and Portsmouth. Mm. And Portsmouth, you would not believe the support they have down there. They have 16,000. They're in the bottom league and they get 16,000, 17,000 every week. Yeah. yeah. Which is unheard of, you know, which is oh, best, yeah. better than a couple of clubs in the Premiership. That's right. Yeah. But, but unfortunately, with Bobby, with Bobby fans, if, you've done, if you do well for them as a player, they love you. Honestly, yeah. you, they, and they never forget. You can go back to the 60s and they never forget. They'll tell their grandkids who've never seen you play or, and they never forget. But what you mustn't do is, if you've been, if you've been a great servant down there and you've done, never take a job as manager. <laughs> because all that, all those years you, you, you've done as a player, like, it, you just undo that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, um, Andy's fan at Andy Alford, uh, Guy Whittingham. They were great. They were brilliant servants for the club and uh, doing good jobs with them the academy and the kids and that, players now are different to players when we were playing. Yeah. And when you're coaching kids, which they were very good at, kids, are, they'll listen, they retain, retain stuff, and if you can see people listening to you, you enjoy teaching them. But that's a big jump from kids, from kids going straight to the first team, thinking, well, yeah. I've done a good job with the kids, this should be a doddle, because you're, you're trying to... In, implement ideas and put ideas into people's heads that have been the hardest thing to break is habit yeah and and most of my habits as a footballer came from my Crystal Palace days as an actual footballer um, there's different things you know you you, you you take in because you're a professional but your actual habits i.e. maybe the way you, you, you collect the ball or turn with the ball or yeah uh, you, you know, you, when you first receive a ball, you, you'll get that as a kid and it stays with you. Yeah. Um, and you can coach that into kids because they don't know. You, you're giving them a fundamental and they find it comfortable. They'll keep on doing it until yeah. the end of their days as, as footballers. But when you start telling people in their early 20s, mid 20s, try and push the ball this way because that way you can turn into. They look at you and they'll. I'm finding it really difficult. There we are. That's brilliant, Alison. Thanks very much. As I said, no, no worries at all.